Society builders paved the way to a better world, to a better day. A united approach to building a new society. Join a conversation, a social transformation. Society builders. Ooh. Society builders, with your host Dwayne Veron. Welcome to Society Builders, and thank you for joining the conversation. For social transformation. In our last episode, we explored the art of fashioning at the collective level, how a community of people can work together to bring vision to fruition. And we explored how this occurs through a process of consultative will, people freely choosing to give of themselves towards the vision their community is working to build. In today's episode, we dive deeper into the processes of developing and cultivating community, particularly self-reliant communities capable of charting and navigating their own path. So it's not just that these communities should grow out of an expression of their free will, but it's also that they should be able to develop the capacity to cultivate their own growth and development. And think of this on a global scale. That's what Baha'is have been patiently building, a global system empowering communities to shape their own destinies. As you know from our first episode, the plans for Baha'i communities worldwide for the next 25 years will focus on society building. But the plans of the past 25 years really focused on this kind of community building. In fact, if I had started producing this podcast series 25 years ago, I would have called it community builders instead of society builders. <laughs> so our focus is now evolving from community building to society building. We needed this community building foundation in order to more systematically contribute to society building. It was the bedrock upon which our approach to society building was ultimately based. So in today's episode, we're going to look at the past 25 years to get a better sense of what we've achieved in building new processes, cultivating this kind of community building. And we're going to get a glimpse, just a glimpse of how this better prepares us for the next 25 years. So today, we're talking about the art of community building and how this then relates to society building. If we go back 25 years, we would see many Baha'i communities around the world that were thriving in all kinds of different arenas. And a lot of that activity was incredibly exciting. But to a large extent, this was a function of the initiative of key individuals resident within these communities. So it was a little bit luck of the draw whether or not you happen to have some of these amazing people living within your community. So there were communities which, again, due to the contributions of these key individuals, had thriving artistic endeavors. Or you might have been blessed to be in a community with a knowledgeable, learned, and inspiring Baha'i who might host deepenings and advance your knowledge of the faith. I mean, some of these speakers were amazing, so knowledgeable, so inspiring. Or you might have enjoyed the benefit of living in a community with amazing and creative children's classes. But again, 
whether or not you happen to enjoy such benefits was largely dependent upon whether you had the right mix of people in your community, creative or knowledgeable Baha'is perhaps, able to pull together and organize such activities. But what if you didn't? What if you didn't have these amazing people living in your community? Well, then you were largely out of luck. Sorry, no uplifting artistic endeavors for you. Sorry, no inspiring deepenings for you. Sorry, no creative children's classes for you. It was largely luck of the draw, a function of the resources you happen to have with limited capacity to develop and cultivate such resources. So in my community of Perth, for example, we had this amazing Baha'i named Greg Parker, who facilitated the most amazing choir ever. It was hip, inspiring, uplifting. It was a stark contrast to the more stoic choirs that people typically associate with a religious community. Even our governor adopted the choir and had it perform at all major state functions. And Greg produced these amazing stage musicals with his own original music and choreography. I mean, they were incredible productions. And all of those people participating in these productions, well, they discovered new talents they didn't know they had, which led them to then engage in other kinds of artistic productions. So what we saw in Perth was an explosion of artistic expression, and a whole culture of arts suddenly flourished and thrived. I mean, it was incredible. But other communities around the world didn't have a Greg Parker. And so the Perth model of the arts wasn't really something that others could emulate. So if you lived in Perth, you could go to the theater and watch an amazing stage production of The Seven Valleys, for example. I mean, it was so cool, not only because the musical moved you to tears and inspired you, but because you saw people from wider society in line to buy tickets and go to the concession stands to buy their copy of The Seven Valleys. We were fortunate to live in Perth, where we enjoyed such productions. But if you lived anywhere else in the world, well, too bad. (laughs) Sorry, you missed out. And in the same way, there were Baha'i communities all around the world that did other amazing things because they had these amazing people. But what we had globally was a patchwork of community building. It was almost accidental what the shape of your community life would be like. It largely depended on the resources of your particular community and whether or not these kind of key individuals who could make these kind of things happen, happen to reside in your community. Now, there will always be a Greg Parker here or there inspired to do amazing things. And that's awesome. But what about the rest of us? What if we don't have Greg's amazing talent? How can we still contribute to our communities? And this is where the real contributions of the past 25 years can be seen. It's in empowering individuals and communities to shape their own destinies and not be dependent upon the serendipities of talent that may or may not be present. Now, don't get me wrong. There's always a desperate need for the Greg Parkers of the world, and we want our communities to support and encourage such initiative. 
But there's also the need for a path of service that can be accessible for all of us. A foundational level of community life, addressing our fundamental spiritual needs, providing all of us with the path of service which we can help facilitate if we so choose, lifting the core functioning of our communities worldwide. And this is largely what we have succeeded in building over the past 25 years, a global system of learning that empowers us to build the core resources we need to function as communities. It's an amazing achievement and one we're going to explore further in today's episode. Now, the centerpiece of this process of empowering a community to develop and cultivate its own necessary resources is what Baha'is refer to as the Institute process. Essentially, this is a system of learning that enables people to develop the skills they need to serve their communities with specific capacities. So say you're an individual inspired by the vision of Baha'u'llah and you're eager to serve your community. How do you nurture and develop that inspiration? How do you translate that inspiration into the arena of service? Now, in the past, this largely depended on your own ingenuity, on whether you had the initiative, the drive, the ability to engineer your own path of development, or on whether you happened to live in a community where someone else or a particular Baha'i institution could help you find that path. But again, this was largely serendipitous. There was no pattern to it. It was truly hit and miss. But today, as a result of the community building focus of the past 25 years, we have educational programs designed to help develop specific skills in service to the community. We've moved from serendipity to systems of learning. So, for example, maybe you feel a desire to contribute to the training and education of Baha'i children. But how do you do that? Effectively, training children requires some very specific skills and attitudes. So to act on your impulse, you need some training, both to empower you in fulfilling your desire, but also to protect the integrity of the community and the quality of the children's classes it has on offer. So over the course of the past 25 years, this kind of training became a central feature of Baha'i community life. But if you think about it, the logistical challenge of implementing a system of learning like this on a global scale is massive. How do you provide such training in the hundreds of thousands of Baha'i communities that exist worldwide? Who's going to provide all that training? And it's not just children's classes we're talking about here. Communities have all kinds of needs that have to be addressed in this manner. So you need a system of learning that can replicate itself and scale to respond to its needs. Wow, now that sounds like an incredibly complex task. So this is one of the most amazing achievements of the last plans. The Institute is a vehicle of self-learning where communities are not dependent upon the Greg Parkers of the world. They have the capacity to facilitate their own learning. 
It's a regenerative system that builds momentum and capacity as it grows. I'm reminded here of a scene in the movie The Matrix, where Neo, now he's the hero of our story, and his companion, Trinity, they're stuck on a rooftop and they need to use a helicopter to facilitate their escape. But neither of them knows how to pilot a helicopter, so what are they going to do? Not a problem, says Trinity, to which Neo replies, you mean you know how to fly a helicopter? To which Trinity replies, not yet. But she connects her mind with the Revolution Central database, downloads that skill in her brain, and turns to Neo and says, but I do now. And she proceeds to get in the helicopter and fly them to safety. Now, although it's not as immediate, this is the system that Baha'is have been patiently building, a system where we can respond to our community's needs through a culture of learning where people eager to respond to that need can be trained to meet that need. And while today the scope of that training is limited to key core needs, over time that repertoire will expand, giving us the capacity to develop resources across a much wider range of skills to respond to the specific needs at hand. Now at the center of the Institute process sits the study circle. The study circle is a small group of people who share a desire to be trained in a specific path of service, like say, the children's classes we were referring to earlier. They rely on a specific curriculum designed to address this need and meet regularly, perhaps weekly, for example. They work their way through this curriculum. The curriculum is centered on Baha'i writings addressing the topic and discussion and consultation within the study circle and some guided tasks help train the group, preparing them for the arena of service. And their training is not limited to study. They also learn by doing. And this is all facilitated by a tutor who has previously completed the course and has been trained in the art of tutoring, facilitating the discussion and addressing the needs of the study circle. So just pause to think about it. Now, instead of depending on learned Baha'is to train us, we develop a capacity to train ourselves. Now we walk a path of service, accompanying others in the cultivation of these skills. So Baha'is worldwide, in small villages and large cities, could now cultivate the specific resources they needed to support their core functions within their own communities. Now, we're going to need many episodes to more fully explore how these study circles work and how they can become most effective. But for today's discussion, let's just accept that what we have here is a system for self-learning. So a group of people can collaborate to develop the specific skills they need for a particular kind of service. And it's important to remember that the curriculum is not only addressing specific skills that are required, but also the attitudes that are central to this arena of service. It's a whole pedagogy associated with a particular form of service. So, for example, the course helping prepare people for teaching children's classes focuses not only on the practical skills they need, but also on the critical attitudes essential to effectively teaching children. So, for example, one quote from the curriculum quotes Baha'u'llah, and he says, Regard man as a mine rich in gems of inestimable value. Education can alone 
cause it to reveal its treasures and enable mankind to benefit therefrom. In that quote is reflected a powerful attitude which recognizes that the real power is not in the teacher, not in the knowledge that the teacher imparts. It's in the child. It's a child-centered approach, which is about bringing out these gems from within the child. It's such a contrast to the approaches in teaching, which we're all used to, which center on the teacher rather than the child. Now, this is just one example of the kind of attitude which is indispensable to the Baha'i approach to teaching children, and it's a central feature in the curriculum for teaching children's classes. And there are similar principles drawing on the Baha'i writings that shape attitudes and skills necessary across a wide range of different paths of service. So there is a core curriculum which has been developed for a range of different paths of service designed to meet the basic functioning of Baha'i community life, focusing on the devotional character of community, children's classes, junior youth development, and the process of deepening one's command of the Baha'i teachings and applying these teachings to the world around us. I mean, any one of these courses could fill its own podcast series. And that's what makes the curriculum so special. They are based on Baha'i teachings that shed light on critical paths of service and that work across diverse settings, whether in cities or villages, in Africa, the Far East, South America, or Western countries. On any day, there are thousands of these study circles taking place in communities all over the world. And with the study circle, now a central feature of Baha'i community life, we have the capacity to channel our desire to serve in specific paths of service. Rather than respond to the serendipities of community membership, we now have the capacity as communities to develop and cultivate the specific resources we need. Now, I want to pause for a second here and talk a bit about the curriculum at the center of this institute process. This is important to understanding how the past 25 years relate to the next 25 years and how it fits in the larger picture of society building. If you think about it, developing curricula like this is not an easy task. In particular, it has to be a curriculum that works in the smallest village and the largest metropolis from east to west and south to north for the illiterate and for the highly educated. It needs a demonstrated capacity to respond to the needs of people living in incredibly diverse circumstances. I mean, that's truly ambitious. Clearly, this isn't something that would be born out of theory. It had to be born out of experience so that it could learn from its encounters and improve its capacity to respond to all these different needs. And it had to have been implemented in truly diverse settings to test its efficacy. Now, I think it's fair to say that the Baha'i community stumbled into this learning process. Globally, we didn't have a lot of experience with it. It was something new, a new paradigm for our community life. It wasn't a perfect process and mistakes were made in kind of like getting it off the ground. And to be fair, mistakes will probably continue to be made as we continue to grapple with how to do it well. 
Despite its setbacks, however, the Baha'i community worldwide adopted a curriculum, the Ruhi Institute, that had substantial experience under its belt and that had been adopted and implemented in a wide range of diverse settings. And as I mentioned before, Baha'is worldwide patiently implemented this curriculum, focusing on developing skills for children's classes, junior youth activities, devotional life, and other basic community functioning needs. With that basic pattern now a central feature of Baha'i community life, we have the tools necessary to adopt other curricula that can similarly provide training to meet specific needs going into the future. But these needs will now vary considerably from community to community, since they will respond to the specific needs of the societies around them. In one community, for example, race unity may be the most pressing issue where Baha'is can contribute best to the society around them. But in another community, that focus might be on developing spiritual parenting skills. As Baha'is learn to better read society and understand society's needs, we will also need the skills to respond to such needs. And here, the victories of the past 25 years in building the pattern for the Institute process as the means for developing such skills will bear its greatest fruit. So let's return to the example I gave in our first episode of my college club at the University of Texas, where we responded to the need of the society around us by creating weekly meetings, helping people develop their skills for the promotion of race unity. Now, looking back, our process was very similar to the Institute process. We had a facilitator, remember, that was the remarkable Bruce Curry that I talked about, who helped familiarize us with the race discourse, with the Baha'i teachings on race, and with so much more. But we didn't have the benefit of an established curriculum. We had to struggle to invent it along the way. And there were things we got right, and there were plenty of things we got horribly wrong in that process. But we learned. We learned a lot from both our successes, but also from our failures. Let me give you an example. One of the most important principles we discovered is that you can't heal racism with only one race sitting in the room. There had to be an exchange between black and white America, and this was indispensable to healing racism. Now, that's a massive discovery. It's a big deal, and it's a uniquely Baha'i perspective, and we discovered that principle through experience. But while it benefited us and our small group at the University of Texas, no one else in the world benefited from this critical discovery. Now, somewhere else there might have been another group of Baha'is grappling with race unity as well, and maybe they also discovered that principle, but they certainly didn't share it with anyone else either. Now you see the problem. In a lot of ways, it's like we're trying to pop popcorn with a popcorn machine. And after eventually getting to the right heat, we hear a kernel pop and we get really excited, but we shut off the popcorn machine. Then we do it again and we get another kernel going pop and we shut it off again and again and again. Now, through this process, eventually we'll get a bowl of popcorn, <laughs> but it's going to take a long time to pop our popcorn this way. 
But what if we could learn from each other and synthesize our experiences? Well, then we'd be getting to the critical heat and continue popping our popcorn. Pop, 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 pop. Now that's a much better way of making popcorn. And there's another point to my story here. None of us could have discovered this principle through theorizing. It was born out of our experience. And effective curricula need the benefit of such experience. And we weren't the only Baha'is grappling with race unity. There would have been other groups grappling in similar arenas, discovering their own principles. But just like they didn't benefit from our discovery, we didn't benefit from theirs. But now, going forward, we have a process where such experience can be brought together to hammer out new curricula to respond to specific needs, building specific capacities. And experience can then further refine these courses, enhancing our capacity to respond to the needs of the societies around us. So what will increasingly emerge is a core curriculum meeting the basic functions of Baha'i community life. Now, that's already in place. And a growing number of courses responding to specific societal needs. The Universal House of Justice uses the example here of a tree, with the trunk being the core curriculum, and the branches that grow out being new courses, which respond to specific societal needs. And we're at an exciting juncture, a time when many new courses will evolve, growing out of the explosion of society-building initiatives we're soon to see take place. Now, we're still in the early stages of all of this. We're still stumbling our way through it because, naturally, it's something new and we lack experience with it. But think about what all of this means. Look at it in terms of the big picture. And let's all appreciate how the community-building initiatives of the past 25 years, with the rise of the Institute process, have now prepared us for this exciting future. Increasingly, our communities will have the resources to respond to the needs of the societies around us. We now have the pattern in place, the culture, and going into the future, just like that character Trinity from The Matrix, we can now develop the specific skills necessary to responding to the needs of the societies around us. Now with the rapid growth of study circles, the resources of Baha'i communities worldwide greatly expanded. Instead of there only being a small handful of people in a community that could facilitate children's classes, for example, now there were scores of such people. And with this expansion in the community's resources, the scope of our activity could also grow. Where this became most apparent was in the shift in focus within Baha'i communities from their local community to neighborhoods. So again, before, the typical Baha'i community would organize itself at a local level. And by local here, we essentially mean the town that you lived in. Baha'is got together at this town level, and in many cases, this meant that hundreds, even thousands of Baha'is were gathering together regularly, requiring fairly large venues like a large Baha'i center or a, a large community hall. And these relatively large communities had largely centralized activities. 
So there might be a fairly large centralized Baha'i children's class, for example, with a few hundred children organized across different classes. Now just think about the logistics required to operate a program like that. And that was largely the pattern. Now, with the dramatic multiplication in resources that grew out of the study circles, suddenly, instead of just having one large children's class, you could suddenly have many smaller classes organized at the neighborhood level. The rise of the neighborhood as the focus for community life meant that now Baha'is got together in much more intimate settings, encouraging much greater participation. So imagine if before you were in a large town meeting with hundreds of people, how likely would you be in that setting to raise your voice and participate in a consultation? But now at the neighborhood level, such consultation thrives. It's not just that participation increases, it's also that the quality of that participation is greatly enhanced. And as activities started to grow at the neighborhood level, suddenly there were new opportunities for growth. So, for example, with much smaller children's classes in neighborhoods, Baha'is were eager to grow these classes. And so they invited friends and neighbors to join. Suddenly, our children's classes had much greater participation from wider society. We went from having children's classes which were predominantly Baha'i to ones where the majority of the participants were actually from the wider community. Again, this is a key pattern going into the future. And increasingly, Baha'is grew comfortable inviting friends and neighbors to all kinds of activities, study circles, children's classes, devotional meetings, junior youth activities. And Baha'is increasingly grew comfortable understanding that people didn't have to be Baha'is to share in our vision or in parts of our vision and contribute accordingly. So a new pattern emerged where people who weren't Baha'is were not only participants, but increasingly became collaborators, teachers, tutors, facilitators, animators. They began contributing shoulder to shoulder with Baha'is in rolling out Baha'u'llah's vision for humanity. Now, this was a big change in our community culture. It's a massive victory for the past 25 years. Previously, Baha'is were relatively insulated from the world around us. Yes, we invited people to our events, but we did that on our terms, and we did it with them participating as participants. So we went from viewing wider society as participants to viewing wider society as collaborators. And engaging with society building requires collaboration. And this fusion between believer and collaborator is critical as a new pattern going forward. Now I want to digress for a second and explore this a little bit further because I think there are really important implications here. The journey of a soul to their creator is a sacred one. And it's one in which each person is responsible for themselves. If people share our vision or part of our vision, they should feel free to contribute to it. But the process of joining our faith as a believer is about something much greater. It's not about whether they like our activities or even share our aspiration for building better societies. 
It's about whether they believe that Baha'u'llah is a divine messenger with a divine message for humanity today. If they accept that, then they should embrace his cause. But that's ultimately their decision to make. Now, there will be people who instantly recognize this truth, and there'll be others who may never get there, but they still may want to contribute to parts of the vision which they agree with. And there will be others still yet, probably most people, who will get there through a more gradual process of discovery. But the point is, that's their story to tell. It's their journey. We never want to impose ourselves on them. Yes, we want to be there for them and help accompany them in their journey in any way we can, but it's fundamentally their journey. But along the way, we want to welcome them as collaborators. So this is why I say that this achievement of the Baha'i community over the past 25 years is so groundbreaking. Baha'is are increasingly coming to terms with this, giving people the space they need in their journeys to explore the teachings of Baha'u'llah, while also welcoming them as collaborators. And this fusion will be critical as we increasingly come to terms with effective society building going forward. So as I was saying, the nexus of Baha'i activity grew, particularly at the neighborhood level but it also grew at a higher level, at the level of the cluster. Now, by cluster here, we're referring to a number of towns or suburbs, all within manageable travel distance, who were now collaborating together around regular campaigns of activity. So new patterns emerged with a nucleus of activity that saw expanding circles from neighborhood to local communities and ultimately to clusters. And with the rise of the cluster, something else happened, which is truly remarkable. Our youth emerged at the forefront of Baha'i community life as leaders of these campaigns. Now, youth have always been at the vanguard of Baha'i community life. It's a distinctive feature of Baha'i culture. But previously, this tended to occur in its own enclave of activity. You had the grown-up community initiatives and you had the youth initiatives. And in truth, the youth initiatives were probably a lot more exciting, but they were still largely separate and distinct. What was different about the past 25 years is that suddenly these youth were driving almost all of the community's main initiatives. It was no longer a parallel arena of action. Now the youth were woven in to community life, even leading our community life. So our key tutors, our key coordinators, our key teachers, our key animators, our key facilitators, these were often youth. And why? Because they were the ones most eager to respond to the needs of the hour. Anyone could have responded. They were just so much more eager. And of course, Baha'i administrators responded to that enthusiasm, further fanning their flames. So suddenly, our youth are not only at our forefront leading the way, but they are also more deeply woven into the fabric of our community life than ever before. And there's no question that this will be an increasing pattern going into the future. So stay tuned for a future episode where we explore the dynamic of how we can best channel 
the contributions of our youth. But for now, let's just celebrate the achievements of our youth at the vanguard of community building, a new pattern in our community life that will be critical to the road ahead for society building. Now, it's not possible for me to celebrate all of the achievements of Baha'is and the community building process over the past 25 years in a single short podcast like this. I would highly encourage you to read the April 2021 message of the Universal House of Justice to the Baha'is of the world for a more comprehensive discussion. That's where you'll find the best summary of the achievements of the past 25 years. But what I hope to achieve today is to highlight at a high level some of the central features that form the hallmark of this period and how this transformed Baha'i community life, giving us the foundation we now need for society building. Specifically today, I focused on four key achievements. First, in building self-generative systems of learning empowering communities worldwide to cultivate the resources they need from within their own communities. Second, an expanding nucleus of community life with ever-expanding circles from neighborhoods to local communities and up to clusters of communities within manageable reach of one another. Third, on the fusion of believer and collaborator from society at large, working together to build the vision of Baha'u'llah. And finally, on the growing influence of youth at the vanguard of our initiatives, reflecting new patterns woven into the fabric of our community life. Each of these themes will have their own dedicated episodes. Each play an indispensable role in the pattern of our response to society building going forward. My point today was not to give a comprehensive discussion about the previous plans. Again, turn to the message from the Universal House of Justice for that. But I just wanted to help illustrate that the gains of these plans lay the foundation for society building going forward. And while we celebrate the victories of the past, I don't want you to think that these changes came easy. There was a lot of sacrifice. Mistakes were made along the way, and there were clear consequences growing out of such mistakes. But that's all part of the process of learning, and in our next episode, we'll explore what it means to have a culture of learning. So thanks for joining us today. Remember to subscribe or follow this series on your favorite podcast platform, tell your friends about it, and send me your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thank you for joining the conversation for social transformation. Join me again next time on Society Builders. Society builders paved the way to a better world, to a better day. A united approach to building a new society. There's a crisis facing humanity. People suffer from a lack of unity. It's time for a better path to a new society. Join a conversation for social transformation. Society builders. Conversation. Uh -huh.
for social transformation. Society builders. So engage with the local communities and explore the exciting possibilities. We can elevate the atmosphere in which we move. The paradigm is shifting. It's so very uplifting. It's a new beat, a new song, a brand new groove. Join a conversation, a social transformation, society builders. Join a conversation, a social transformation, society builders. But high faith has a lot to say Helping people discover a better way With discourse and social action Framed by unity Now the time has come to lift the game And apply the teachings of the greatest name And rise to meet the glory of our destiny Join a conversation a Social transformation Society builders Ooh. Conversation, social transformation, society builders.